been here, as I said, for 110 years, so um, most people know that we're here and know something about what we do or, or have got a partner that works here or um, know someone who works here. Sean Britton is the director of Britton Timbers, a business that helped shape the early development of Tasmania's northwest. It has a big mill in Smithton and employs about 80 people in the region, including local high school students who take after-school jobs at the mill. Its focus is high-quality products, woods used for furniture, floorboards and design-focused architecture. We provide resource to a whole downstream processing industry um, around Australia, but particularly in Tasmania. Britain Timbers is one of many businesses that sources logs in permanent production zone land in and around the Tarkine. Access to those resources is determined by government policy and changes can have a big impact on business. The Tasmanian government's plan to open up areas of the Tarkine for harvesting ahead of schedule has been sold as a way to support jobs and businesses in the timber industry. But whether the contentious policy will actually help Britain Timbers is another story. This is Wild Asset, a podcast about the Tarkine region and the people caught up in a battle of industry, environment, politics and identity. I'm Lachlan Bennett. And I'm Imogen Elliott. In this podcast, produced by Fairfax Media, we'll be exploring one of Tasmania's most contentious patches of land and the clash of interests that will shape its future. The Tarkine region holds great environmental and cultural value, but it's also a big moneymaker for Tasmania. Hundreds of Tasmanians hold jobs across tourism, forestry, farming and mining industries in the area. Industry proponents have warned environmental conservation of the Tarkine could have devastating impacts on the state's bottom line. In the first episode of Wild Asset, we explored the environmental value of the Tarkine and the views of the people who live in the surrounding towns. In this episode, we'll be exploring the economic value of the region and the businesses that use the brand and image of the Tarkine to sell their product. The battle over how to manage Tasmania's forests has been going on for decades, but that debate has been thrust back into the limelight with the government's proposed Unlocking Production Forest Bill. Resources Minister Guy Barnett says the region has been used for forestry practices since white settlement. He thinks future harvesting in the Tarkine will assist a forestry industry running low on economically viable wood. There's a lot of people that rely on the timber industry. So if they don't get the resource, well, we have a serious issue. Um, and that is jobs will go, direct jobs will go, and indirect jobs will go. Uh, the Greens want a Tarkine National Park, which is about 6.5% of the state. And the Tasmanian people made it very clear at the last election, they said no more lockups. So now the Greens want another national park, more lockups, 
and we say that is totally unacceptable. And let me make it very clear, this is not just for forestry, impact on forestry. This impacts on mining and grazing and recreational land users. About 100,000 hectares of the Tarkine was marked for harvesting after 2020 by Tasmania's Labor Green government in 2013. This allocation was part of the Tasmanian Forest Agreement. The agreement aimed to end the state's bitter forestry wars by striking a compromise between increasing wood supply and satisfying demand for conservation of the state's forests. The Tasmanian Greens supported the agreement at the time, however they are now fighting against new legislation that would see parts of the Tarkine accessed for specialty timbers before the scheduled date. The legislation would see 356,000 hectares of future potential production forest land converted to production forest land in June next year. Can you explain a bit more about what future potential production forest is and um, how much of it is in the Tarkine? Yes, the future potential production forest is some 400,000 hectares of Tasmania, of primarily forest production forest land. Um, and it's all across Tasmania, so not just in the northwest, northeast, Derwent Valley, Hewan Valley, east coast. Um, there is a good proportion in the northwest coast, um, and that area has been identified as production forest. And as I say, it has been for a very long length of time, and we are, rather than keeping it locked up, we are unlocking it. Uh, any forestry operations in this area must meet high standards for forestry management purposes to protect the flora and the fauna and uh, so harvesting will not be allowed unless the Forest Practices Authority um, approves that harvesting and they meet those high standards for forest management. We have now very good best practice in Australia and some of the best practices in, in the world here in Australia. And the very fact the Greens think it's a pristine wilderness is a testament to our foresters that to say this has been so well managed that uh, even the Greens think it uh, should be pristine wilderness. Mm. When was the last time you went out to that wilderness? Um, well, I've been in production forests. Um, I go there regularly um, in my role as Minister for Resources. Um, I was in the Hewan just for example a couple of weeks ago and uh, absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. I could see the fine uh, high standards of management in these forests and uh, I'm very proud of the forest industry and we should be proud of what they do and I think they have huge potential and we have plans for further growth. Whether the legislation is something the forestry industry actually wants is a matter of debate. The Forest Industry Association of Tasmania released a statement in March saying it would be unable to support the legislation. Chief Executive Terry Edwards said, and I quote here, it will create unnecessary sovereign risk in log supply and problems in our markets and a return to the forestry wars. Sean Britton also said he doesn't have enough information to know whether Britain's timber would actually use any of the resources unlocked by the legislation. Without some more information, I can't really comment on, on what effect um, a, a, shift, a current shift in government policy on um, land that doesn't currently produce us produce any uh, resource, what a change in policy on that land would do to us. Mm. How do the current policy settings uh, work for you? Um, 
Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we're, we're receiving um, sufficient volume of logs to process and um, remain viable by managing our production costs and, uh, and staying in business. So. Forestry Tasmania is a government business enterprise that manages and undertakes forestry operations across Tasmania. It's required to provide 137,000 cubic metres of saw logs to the industry each year, but it won't be permitted to harvest future potential production forest once it becomes production forest land. Instead, the land will be opened up for harvesting by private investors. Some groups are concerned investors would be reluctant to take the wood from the production forest because the product is viewed as contentious due to the environmental debate. The state government won't allow Forestry Tasmania access to the forest because it doesn't want to jeopardise the company's chances of gaining FSC certification, something that will boost its environmental credentials and image on the market. FSC Australia Chief Executive Bill Royce has stated previously there is no guarantees the certification bid won't be put at risk by the legislation. Operators like Britain Timbers pursue certification as part of their plan to work towards a sustainable forest future. Our resource has been um, certified to the Australian Forestry Standard, uh, which is um, comes under the auspices of the PEFC, which is a global certification. Um, and um, so we have chain of custody certification here, and um, that's been in place for a number of years. And as markets change, as um, attitudes towards sustainability of, um, of raw materials changes, we change with that. Um, at the moment, we're not able to source FSC certified uh, products, but Forestry TAS is currently going through the FSC process. So um, we will uh, we'll follow that. And um, if, if and when they're successful in that, we will follow on with uh, chain of custody certification so that we can, we can um, sell timber into the marketplace and give our customers the comfort in the knowledge that they're um, that's certified to the highest possible sustainability standards. Not only could wood harvesting in the Tarkine impact Tasmania's image as a clean green timber supplier, some fear it could also impact the state's tourism image. This fear is compounded by the fact that those protesting in the Tarkine are drawing attention to the issue, especially by harnessing social media. There will be people who will say that that level of protest will draw attention to it and isn't that a good thing. And there's part of me that says, yeah, it probably is, but we have to have the courage and the confidence to be able to respond to that, that form of protest. That's Ian Waller. He spent 15 years as the regional tourism manager of the Cradle Coast Authority. That's an organisation that represents the interests of councils across the northwest coast of Tasmania. He stood down from the role earlier this year. It was a couple of months after the protests in the Tarkine began. And again, I don't deny anyone the right to protest or to stand up for what they believe in. Um, but I also don't deny anyone the right to respond to that. And, and we have an obligation to respond. We have an obligation to say that, that areas like the Tarkine are incredibly important as a tourism product. 
um, if we want the tourism industry to grow, we can't undermine the credibility of that tourism product. Tourism is a big business in the Cradle Coast, especially as the industries that define the region come under pressure. Half a million tourists visited the Cradle Coast region last year, internationally and from mainland Australia. That's an increase of 7% in one year, and those rising numbers could be damaging for the Tarkine. So we can't say yet we are comfortable with, um, we're not comfortable with forestry moving in and bulldozing parts of that experience. But equally, we're not comfortable with a million visitors going in there and leaving their trash and, um, and, and destroying the environment that we're saying is so precious. So somewhere in that space there's a balance to say, um, if it is so special, we want people to see it, we want people to experience it, we want people to, to be uh, in awe of what they see. But also we need to um, ensure that it's protected in some capacity so that it's not only those people to see it, but it's their kids and their kids and their kids that get the chance to experience it as well. But I don't want to destroy one industry for the sake of another. I think there's got to be a way to find that a, a convenient, appropriate balance that sees those, those industries working in some level of harmony. But again, if they chose to clear all of the blackwood out of the Tarkine, then there's another product gone, there's another experience gone, there's another part of our history that's, that's, that's eroded. The state government has set a target of attracting 1.5 million visitors to Tasmania each year by 2020, and it's already ahead of that goal. Local tourism proponents say despite strong statewide figures, the Tarkine remains a relatively untapped tourism resource. Tourist operator John Davner has been general manager of Smithton Hotel and restaurant business Tall Timbers for more than two decades. 50% of the, the northwest market in demographic is 50 plus. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, around 45 up to the plus is 50% of our markets. And that's the market we're in at the moment, the grey nomad markets per se, uh, because you have all the families travel over the holiday period, so Christmas holidays and uh, you get all the beachside places that boom, like East Coast boom, all those places boom, Stanley boom, and then as soon as kids go back to school, you end up with another wave of a different market coming in. The Tarkine Drive was constructed to entice tourists to the region, and it was opened by the state government in 2015. John believes it has changed the image of the entire Northwest region. I've been one of the instigators back when the Tarkine Drive was muted, and um, I was one of those key drivers to get the Tarkine Drive through. And the government spent of $20 million there in regards to putting that sealed road on existing roads, not new roads, just existing roads, and sealing that and getting that open. Um, it's probably an integral part of growing tourism in our region. Take the Tarkine Drive, home to some of the rarest flora and fauna. They're all here. Experience mountain ranges to temperate rainforest, pristine waters to sandy beaches. Getting people west of Stanley was an issue. So now the Tarkine's that opportunity to get people west of Stanley. And, um, it's just a case of uh, promoting it enough and having enough money to be able to promote it, promote it and get people into the area. And one of the other key things is um, making sure that parks and wildlife have got a, which are the, the, the 
land managers have got that funds to be able to grow and expand those attractions that are in that Tarkon area and look after them. You know, if you have an increase in numbers, you've obviously got to have an increase in funds to make sure you're looking after those facilities. So, um, and, you know, additional numbers in the area create different problems, which you've got to cater for as well. And we've got to realise that Parks and Wildlife have got 50% of the land mass in Tassie thereabouts, so if not more. Um, you know, so everyone's wanting a slice of the pie and the government just hasn't got that much money to put in, so it's got to be managed appropriately. The state government says there are jobs to be created in building a stronger forestry industry in the northwest. The region has been hit with mass job losses following the collapse of guns and the shutdown of other factories, most recently a Murray Goldburn dairy processing facility near Smithton. Resources Minister Guy Barnett says preventing the growth of forestry operations in the Tarkine could prevent the creation of hundreds of jobs in the area. Others say there are just as many jobs to be made in protecting the environment and building a stronger tourism market. The other key players looking to access the Tarkine for its resources are mining groups. There is a working iron ore mine on the Savage River, and towns bordering the Tarkine, such as Waratah, were established during the mining boom and are now haunted by the absence of prosperity. Debate over mining in the Tarkine has been just as tumultuous and abrasive as the forestry debate. However, mining operations aren't facing the same pressure to evolve like forestry. Farming is the other key player in the debate, and the industry is capitalising on the image of the pristine natural environment. The Tarkine itself, the, the, the natural attributes of the, the Tarkine and also Tasmania is actually what sells our product. That's Nicola Charles. She's managing director of Blue Hills Honey, along with her husband, Robert. The other title is whatever Robbie doesn't want to do. <laughs> Right, he loves the bees, loves the bees, he doesn't like the office work, so. Blue Hills Honey is a family business, started by Robert's father back in 1955. Today, it has 1,800 hives and produces about 100 tonnes of honey a year. Most of that honey is exported overseas, and one of its best-selling brands is called Tarkine Wilderness Honey. Just for example, we're sending leatherwood honey into China. China is the biggest honey producer in the world. So why do they want our honey? There's only one reason they want our honey, is because it's good, it's good quality, and it comes from an area that's regarded as having the cleanest air in the world, the cleanest water. Leatherwood trees are crucial to Tasmania's honey industry. The only place in the world they exist is Western Tasmania, and they need to be about 70 or 80 years old before they produce nectar suitable for commercial purposes. But you could say it's worth the wait. Bees create a unique tasting honey when they gather nectar from the white flowers of the leatherwood. Of course, leatherwoods can also make great timber products, and this can put beekeepers like Nicola in a difficult position. About a third of Blue Hills Honey's aviary sites are located on land managed by Forestry Tasmania. You do what you do for an industry. Uh, I've been working with forestry for a number of years. Um, I will say that in more recent times there's been more consideration given to beekeepers. Over the time um, there's been a lot of lost areas. Um, north of the Arthur River there's been 4,000 hive capacity lost through forestry. Um, so we have actually had to move back into 
um, usually higher altitude sites and back into where we can source a product. Uh, there's only a hundred hives now um, north of the Arthur River. Uh, so historically it hasn't been a very good relationship but I think it's improving now. We're actually getting a lot more consideration of commercial leatherwood being taken out of uh, plans. The only thing that we would like to do is have more input in the planning phase rather than being shown a plan and then no way of actually changing that plan or having any say in what happens in that plan. The relationship between Forestry Tasmania and beekeepers may be improving, but that's not always the message that gets across to the market. About a month ago, one of Blue Hills Honey's distributors from Japan started to raise concerns when they saw news stories about the tarkine being opened up for harvesting. Her main concern was, is the leatherwood safe? And uh, I suppose she's looking at it from the viewpoint, does she have a, a, a long-term business relationship going forward? Questions also come up when clients come down to see the Tarkine, this region branded as clean, green wilderness. It's very hard when you're bringing people from overseas to sell that image that we care for our back door, essentially, when you're driving along a road and you're seeing it logged right up to the roadside. That is a very hard sell for anyone, even for someone who's grown up in that region for many years and who appreciates that a living, working forest is what actually uh, our region is... Um, been opened up and started from and we're growing with a lot of history of that but be considerate of others users in that forest um, as I said having roads that are cleared right up to the roadside when you have to bring your uh, say your Japanese tourist your, your tourist or your customer from Singapore uh, from Hong Kong it's very difficult to sell that um, and the plantation story only goes so far as well as in when you, when you tell them that. That's right. And you say this is a working forest, it's, it's plantation. This is essentially a crop that's, rather than being in the ground for a season, it's there for 25 years or 20 years. We, we launch into the history side to show the traditional side of it um, and how other industries have evolved and how we uh, protect areas special to us. Um, as I said, it's a very hard sell when you're coming past logging areas. a lot of work into our planning of operations um, and there is a lot of um, environmental assessment work that we do. That's Peter Williams. He's a production manager for the Northwest and Northeast for Forestry Tasmania. One of the misconceptions is that we just um, bowl into an area and we start our harvesting with really the planning takes years um, before we actually get there and, and build a road or or start harvesting. Is Forestry Tasmania a sustainable operation? It is, yes. We uh, obviously have different forests on different rotations um, and we're, um, we obviously have uh, contracts in place through to 2027 with our existing uh, customers. However, our planning is um, looking at a 90-year rotation uh, for some of our forests and some of them uh, a bit less than that, um, which is why there is uh, a need for us to supplement our, um, our, our volumes with our plantation um, products and uh, the 
high pruned plantations that we've um, managed over the last uh, 18 to 20 years are now starting to mature and and will start to supplement our um, volume through to sawmill customers uh, with some of that um, plantation material. Um, supplement but never entirely replace? No, no. We'll, um, there'll always be native forest volume. Forestry Tasmania is undertaking big changes as it comes under financial pressure. Last year it posted a $67 million loss and it receives millions in taxpayer subsidies. The business is restructuring to shore up its finances and it's also rebranding itself to Sustainable Timbers Tasmania. As part of Forestry Tasmania's restructure, two separate divisions will be created. One will focus on commercial wood operations and the other on non-commercial land management activities, like maintaining roads for public access. These roads are used by tourists, but also locals like Ashley Papowski. Ashley is one of many Tasmanians who enjoy driving motorbikes, ATVs and four-wheel drives through the Tarkine region, both on and off sealed roads. It's unbelievable. You gotta, every time you go to the, to the Arthur Pineman or the uh, end of the base highway and turn left, yeah, a turn left, it's a different feeling. That freshness, that clean air, that just changes your perception. Even after 60 years, it's just, you're just glad to drive down the road. And everything's so clean, it's rugged, it's wilderness, everything's a challenge. Motoring enthusiasts like Ashley are in the midst of a fierce political and legal battle. The government is looking at reopening tracks along the west coast of Tasmania, but Aboriginal leaders fear letting vehicles into the area will destroy their valuable cultural heritage sites. The tracks are located in the Arthur Pyman Conservation Area, which is protected and distinct from the area the government plans to open up for harvesting in the Tarkine. But Ashley has a long history with the broader Tarkine region, and he says Aboriginals aren't the only ones with a deep connection to the land. Well, when we go riding on the uh, four-wheel drives, we follow the old stock route, the old cattleman's route. So the, the cattleman, what, what happened, the, the, the beef would be raised on the northwest coast and then driven down via the Arthur River, they'd swim the Arthur River, down the Arthur River Beach, through the cattle route, um, down over the Pyman, they'd swim the Pyman, and then into Zeehan to feed the Zeehan miners. Ashley has been visiting the Tarkine since he was a kid. His father built a shack in Nelson Bay in 1952. We'd go down as kids, as a family, and we'd go at Christmas when the school broke up, and we'd go for six weeks. And we'd live off the land. The only time we'd come out would be when we wanted supplies, or you'd probably get one of the old uh, um, um, pilots from out of the, the war, you know, that lived locally, that have light aircraft and they'd drop supplies into us, or even drop in and catch a f um, collect a few fish on the beach and collect a few um, fish and take back to Smithton. Over the years, other families built shacks and a small community sprung up in the isolated region. Because everyone knew each other, we'd go into each shack, we'd socialise, we'd have happy hours. and. But these days, they've changed hands a little bit, and now a new generation's coming through, and younger families, so, which is good. It re, 
rejuvenates the area, but we haven't sort of got the bond that we had years ago. When Ashley was a kid, getting to the shack was a long journey that involved rough roads and winching cars across rivers. Now there's a sealed road, and that has brought a flow of tourists. This year is the most I've ever seen of the people down there, and more walkers, um, uh, as well as campers and things like that. So um, um, it's probably good. It's probably good for the economy of the area to be, have those visitors, and that leads me to what I think into the future with the Tarkine. I believe that we've got to make a living off out of the Tarkine. It's got to be multiple use. We've got to be able to keep its values. Um, having just this year come back from the Rockies, they travel the grey nomads in there, make squillions of dollars. There's no destruction. They're making a good living. It's maintaining their standard of living because the old mining techniques of Alaska and that are all gone, but it's the tourists that are keeping the towns alive. And we've got to learn to work smarter like that where we can do that. But we've got to recognise that it's multiple use as well and, and appreciate what the forestry, uh, you know, the constructions of the forestry industry has done in the past to enable us to be able to use the roads. So Imogen, while those in the forestry, agriculture and tourism industries have a strong voice, the fate of the Tarkine really rests with state parliament, doesn't it? That's right, and currently the Unlocking Forests Bill is in the hands of Tasmania's Legislative Council, which is dominated by independents. The bill didn't get up for debate last time members were sitting, but in the next episode we'll break down the political debate that has some fearing a flare-up of Tasmania's bitter forestry wars. To make sure you get that episode, subscribe to Wild Asset on iTunes, SoundCloud and Pocket Casts. And don't forget you can read our feature articles on the Tarkine and check out additional content at www.theadvocate.com.au. You can also find episode credits there. Thanks for listening.